Hi, I'm a busy investment banker. When I come home, I don't want to cut open an avocado and take out the seed. That's why I buy prepackaged avocados. <laughs> Only from Mexico. Arriba! You know, what I'm Welcome to the Mostly Money, Mostly Canadian podcast with your host, Preet Banerjee. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land. My name is Preet, and I'm your host of the Mostly Money, Mostly Canadian podcast. And I hope you like the new music that I've picked for the podcast. First time using it. Anywho, my guest this week is a good friend of mine by the name of Ron Tite. Uh, Probably needs no introduction, but uh, I will introduce him. But before I roll into the interview, there's uh, two things that I want to uh, address. A little bit of housekeeping, if you will. Uh... As you know, this uh, this podcast does have an E for explicit rating in iTunes <laughs> because there is the occasional use of foul language. And uh, there's only one one use of profanity in this podcast. It's near the end. It's in the last quarter, I would say. It's not big. It's kind of innocuous. But in case you're driving home from school and you got little Timmy in the back, um, you may want to either yell earmuffs when we get to the part where we talk about you too. Uh, or, you know, maybe listen to the podcast another time. But you can certainly listen to the first 30 minutes. It's uh, totally safe. So again, just a little profanity warning, just because I know you don't want to be caught off guard. And the second thing is during the interview, uh, Ron mentioned the name of a comedian. And um, so to preemptively tell you, the actual name of that comedian is Sebastian Maniscalco. And uh, I'll put a link to the bit that Ron refers to in the podcast on the uh, on the website. So if anyone wants to check out that link, it'll be there. And, uh, and that's about it. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to our podcast that we recorded earlier today. Trained at Toronto's legendary second city, Ron Tite was named one of the top 10 creative Canadians by Marketing Magazine. He's been an award-winning advertising writer and creative director for some of the world's most respected brands, including Air France, Evian, Fidelity, Hershey, Johnson & Johnson, Kraft, Intel, Microsoft, Volvo, and many others. He is founder and CEO of The Tight Group, an executive producer and host of the Canadian comedy award-winning show, Monkey Toast, which we'll talk a little bit as well uh, about later. He is in demand as a speaker on innovation, branding, content marketing, and has his own take on modern business, the expression economy. Ron, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bree. Thanks for having me. Uh, it is my pleasure. So we have a lot of things that I would love to talk to you about. <laughs> And uh, I think I'm going to start with the Tight Group. So sure. the Tight Group is a content marketing agency for all the Luddites like myself. What is content marketing? It's the latest buzz. What <laughs> <laughs> everyone's talking about. Well, you know, as we've seen the the world of traditional advertising decrease in in performance, it's not going away, but it's decreasing in effectiveness. Uh, what what content marketing is, from my perspective, is f- focusing on producing and creating content that people want to see opposed to stuff they have to see. So they have to see ads. Mm-hmm. They have to flip past them. They have to skip past them. But content marketing is, is producing material that people, they really want to see it. So it doesn't matter who produces stuff. Now it doesn't matter who pays for it. So if you're, you know, looking at a technology play, 
you can't tell me that Microsoft doesn't have a heck of a lot of credibility in that play in that space. Right. They do. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would say they have way more credibility than any staff writer at any, you know, generic business publication. They right. just do. And where it's got in the way in the past is people think, oh, well, they've got a bias. That's a, that's the sales bias of everything that has to do with Microsoft. Well, that's changing. And brands are understanding that they can provide content that is insightful, that is informative, that that is helpful to the end customer without having that overt, you know, pitch slap. Um, <laughs> that's with a P for all the listeners out there. Uh, it's not a mic pop. It is a right. P. Yeah. You know, that, that, that they can do that. And and so we focus on that. We focus on helping brands as well as some of our own properties where we create stuff that people want to see. And sometimes the brand pays for it. So, so content marketing is different from traditional marketing or advertising in the past where, you know, you would sit down in front of the boob tube, you'd watch your three and a half minute commercial break and then go back to your regularly scheduled programming, et cetera. But, and I think you tweeted about this or posted it on Facebook the other day and you asked people, you know, how long does it take you before you click on skip ad on YouTube when you want to watch a video? And if you're like me, it's as soon as the countdown is over. And so those traditional ads where it's in your face, a lot of people, uh, they don't even want to see it. So from personal experience, so I had a personal finance blog. It technically is still alive, but I haven't written to it in (laughs) like years. Um, what, What I found was that my regular readers were ad blind. So I, I ran Google AdSense ads on the blog, and uh, you can sort of see who clicks on it, uh, whether they came from organic um, traffic from, from Google or if they were regular readers. And so there was a, a plugin you can add in which would say, all right, well, if someone is a regular reader, i.e. they've been to your site in the last 24 hours, 48, whatever – don't show them any ads. Right. Uh, and that's better because they weren't clicking on it anyways. Right? right. They are completely blind to that, whereas someone who came from Google was much more likely to click on an ad, probably because they didn't realize there was a difference between that and the content because you make the ads look, you know, the same colors and everything, <laughs> yeah, right, to yeah. try and trick them. So so things have really changed. You know, you, you PVR shows and you fast forward through the commercials. So what are the unique challenges then? So you're still trying to create brand awareness, but people are so much more savvy. You know, they've got that that BS meter. They want yep. uh, openness, transparency, all that stuff. Yeah. So how do you do that? Well, you know, I think one is the biggest challenge is getting people to overcome that mental barrier that a brand can't produce something that's interesting. Right. Because at the end of the day, people just want good stuff. They do. And, and if it's interesting and it's compelling and it's informative, they love it. And who cares who pays for it? Uh, so getting people to get over this, like this belief that brands can't produce content that is compelling, uh, is, is the first challenge. Secondly, it's getting brands to get over that age, that, that, that old traditional world of what do you mean? I can just say whatever the heck I want to say. It was like, <laughs> well, it's really boring. Right. And when you have an ad that you're paying for, yes, you can say whatever you want. When you're competing against the internet, and I can either watch or listen to your thing versus everything else that's out there, it's not going to cut it. So getting brands to kind of, you know, let their guard down a little bit and and focus on being compelling opposed to checking off the boxes and the three product features that are in the brief. Right. That, you know, that is a that is a big uh, hurdle to get over. And is there a, a generational divide, not only from the consumer's point of view, but also from the people that you would deal with, you know, your clients? Do you find that there's a difference? Like, is it does it take a while for the people who have been there for 20, 30 years with a company 
Do they just not get it or do they realize that they have to get it, but they don't actually? Or do you have to wait for the next generation of worker to come in and say, no, 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 listen, you guys are doing this all wrong. It has to be this new way. What What is that like? Yeah, it's really interesting because you you go into a, you know, a CMO's office who built their career on outstanding 30 second TV commercials. Right. And a media spend that was 5 million bucks. Right. And you go in and go, that doesn't work anymore. The thing that built your career yeah. doesn't work anymore. Right. And I go, ah, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like that doesn't, doesn't work. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's certainly the, I think a more millennial marketer understands that there are different content platforms. What's really interesting too is that the, you know, there's producing the content, there's the creative, but then there's also amplifying and distribution of the, of that content. So mm-hmm. where does it live? Where does it sit? How do right. you get it in front of people? So you do want to drive owned audiences, but initially, whether you're amplifying it on Facebook or you're buying LinkedIn ads to drive people to a, drive people to a white paper, it's that kind of world that people don't understand the entire ecosystem for them being on Facebook just means one thing, right? You just you have a page and people like your stuff. And as we all know now, that that doesn't work. And Facebook is as much a media property as it is a customer service vehicle. And they don't get the intricacies of different social platforms. It's just either it's on social media or it's not. The, and and the the challenge with with young with younger marketers is they don't understand the strategic implications as to why you need to go down the roads. They just are so involved and so immersed in a wide variety of different channels that they've never actually stopped to think about hmm. the strategic reasons for why you need to be there. Right. And one of the things that I see on LinkedIn, on Twitter, or what have you, is that there's an explosion of all these uh, new media, social media consultants, experts. And they're always pitching everyone saying, you need my services. Do you have a Facebook page? All this stuff. And then you go and you do some due diligence on them. They have like 80 Twitter followers. And (laughs) what is going on? And I hear stories of organizations, usually smaller companies, um, who are bringing some of these experts to talk about how they can engage social media platforms. And I look at the people that are doing this stuff, and I wonder if they're just like making all this stuff up based on, oh, I read a LinkedIn article said, these are the 10 things you need, so I'm going to go in and present this as my presentation. But there is... You actually, there's skill involved in figuring all this stuff out. So tell me a little bit about the nature. Uh, you don't have to give any specific examples if you can't, but you know some of the some of the projects that the tight group works on. So give me an example of uh, you know what it is that you would do for your clients. Sure. And I just, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll reference your first point there because I agree with you. I mean, I in the speaking world, when somebody says he is a marketing expert, I hate that. Right. <laughs> because I don't think that I don't think there are any experts now. I think there are people who are committed to getting it right and figuring it out. Yeah. But I don't know that anybody has the answer. Right. Because the world is changing so quickly that you just you have to have enough information to be able to figure it out Mm -hmm. and uh and the world is filled with scammers who are going you just need to do these three things and you don't (laughs) no so so some examples uh i can just tell you kind of what we have going on right now um you know, one of our clients is AB World Foods, which is Patak's Indian sauces and, and Blue Dragon. Uh, so we, we have done everything from great recipe content. We've created cookbooks that people can download on great Diwali recipes, mm-hmm. uh, if they want to do that. We just created a, um, a holy, which is a, you know, the festival of color. I know. Uh, okay. I know. <laughs> With a name like Breed. <laughs> I hope you know holy. Yeah. So, so we did, we married this, you know, this, this festival of color with a big trend right now is add 
adult coloring books. Oh my God. Yeah. Fiona. So my partner, Fiona, she was telling me about this. She bought all the, the people that she works with these adult coloring books. She's like, Oh, you know, I, I'm going to do this for all my associates. And I thought, who the hell would want an adult color? Isn't that like offensive? A lot of people. They love it. Seriously. Yeah. It is. It was the biggest gift at Christmas time. Right. And so we created this holy adult coloring book and it was, I mean, kind of, kind of you know, six page kind of thing you could download and, and print. Um, and, um, and then obviously in the, in the recipe world kind of doing, it's not just a recipe, but now it's a video that's being prepared and it's a gif of the ingredients coming together. Uh, and it's a, and it's a Facebook post with lists the, the, the rest of the recipe that you can download, right. you know, it's all that kind of stuff. Um, but we also do things like, uh, Twitter parties where we'll, we'll, we'll say we're hosting a conversation with some key influencers and some thought leaders in the space who can give you some great. Uh, ideas around cooking for, you know, Chinese New Year for Blue Dragon or Diwali for, for, um, uh, for Pataks. So that kind of stuff. Now, when we look at what we're doing for Microsoft, that's really different. We're not doing recipes for Microsoft. We're doing blog posts. We're doing, a, you know, um, kind of case study videos so that people can look to see how a, Comic book illustrator is using the Microsoft Surface. So, you know, that's maybe a little bit more branded than traditional content. Um, we've also, uh, are, um, you know, we've done some consulting to, uh, Blue Ant Media, which is a kind of a media company and we mm-hmm. help brand and create a television network called Makeful. So we, we, we like to say that, you know, we're redefining the relationship that people and, and brands have with content. And so it's a wide variety of different stuff. I imagine that your clients are very happy. I just want to point out that when uh, we're doing this interview at the tight group's offices and Ron was kind enough to offer me a beer and, uh, and it's 9am. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. And I'm halfway done. So, um, but that's great. So amazing customer service. Um, now what ordered the tequila? <laughs> uh, now one thing I wanted to ask you about is, um, ad blockers. So, um, so I, uh, I will admit I, I run an ad blocker on my, on my browser and I've noticed now that, uh, some websites will say, Hey, I've noticed you're using an ad blocker and it reminds me of this movie. It's an obscure reference. It was called the big hit with Mark Wahlberg. Okay. And there's this scene where, um, someone was trying to trace a call, Okay. but the other guys had the trace buster. And so the original guy said, that's all right. We've got the Trace Buster Buster. And then the guy says, well, we've got the Trace Buster Buster Buster. And it went on and on, right? right? <laughs> and so I'm, I'm thinking, you know, is that what's next? You know, the ad blocker, blocker, blocker. So these are a lot of new challenges. Like it's an ever-changing landscape. And so once you think you've got it figured out, the game changes. Yeah. So how challenging is that in this new age when you're coming up with a campaign or whatever? How fast do you have to evolve? You know, with with ad blockers, I think there are there are two issues at play there. One is great content doesn't just make itself. Mm-hmm. Someone's got to pay for it. Yeah. And so, you know, it's difficult for you to go on YouTube and enjoy the delivery that that content is coming from. And but it's got to sit on a server and there's people got to stay. You know, someone has to pay for that. Yeah. And uh, if we want to have great content at our disposal, I think we need to understand that brands probably have to have a role to play in that somewhere. Uh, at the same time, there will always be a workaround and the consumers will rule. I, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't run ad blockers, but I, I, 
I don't have cable TV, mm-hmm. you know, like because I don't enjoy the ads and I'd much rather buy from iTunes and, and Netflix. So is that an ad blocker? Kind of. I mean, I'm just kind of paying for it in a different way. Right. Um, the consumer will always be right. And mm-hmm. that's what you have to chase. At the same time, with the speed, I think sometimes people react too quickly. Some brands will react too quickly and say, oh, uh, Snapchat's the next thing. We got it. What's our <laughs> Snapchat strategy? You know, and um, and it's not always appropriate for a brand to be in a new ve- new media vehicle or, or in a new social vehicle. And and people are running around chasing new platforms. They have before they have the actual foundations for strong core marketing principles. And um, only when you have those core foundations to your brand, can you experiment with new platforms. Mm hmm. And I, it's like the dogs chasing their tail. You know, they're just like, what's next? Where do I go? And they haven't, you haven't mastered the last one yet. And now you're, you're, you're sprinting ahead. Um, I will once again contradict myself and say, you do have to have some sort of research built in. And, and as long as you're going with the understanding that we're going to try this out just to see what happens and to gather some data and see what we can learn. Opposed to, we got to go on Snapchat because all the kids are there and that's going to be the answer we all need. That's going to drive sales. Right. That's a good um, point because I just joined Snapchat. I'm trying to figure it out. It I, it was on my iPhone for probably eight months. And every now and then I would open it up and say, okay, how does this work? Yeah. And uh, it wasn't until maybe the last month or so that I started using it more religiously. But And I see that there are some brands on there. And they're either on there and they're fully committed or they're making, you know, a dog's breakfast out of it. And it's challenging because, again, I may be completely out to, out to lunch with how Snapchat works. But, you know, you put your snaps on and they delete after 24 hours. Yeah. So it's so challenging to figure that out. But at the same time, when I talk to someone uh, who's younger, like on the younger uh, bracket of the millennial demographic, they're not on Facebook as much as my generation is. Uh, Twitter, maybe, but Snapchat, yes. Instagram, yes, and that's starting to decline too as well. So it's uh, all these different new media that are changing as well, which makes it very challenging. Now, I want to talk about the expression economy. Mm -hmm. So this is something that you talk about. And um, in fact, you, uh, I've seen your presentations that you've given to organizations and uh, if I may say, you're one of the most powerful speakers I've ever oh, seen. Very kind of you. And uh, we did the showcase for Speaker Spotlight a couple yeah. years together. And I watched yours and everyone was absolutely mesmerized. And you were talking about the expression economy. So can you break down what, what do you mean by the expression economy? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Well, you know, three things have happened. I think that fundamentally changed a lot of things in business and in life. And I know that sounds hokey because everybody's it's in business and in life, <laughs> but it's true. The first thing is that the cost of production came down drastically. So 
we're sitting here, Preet, you and I are sitting in my office and we're recording for all intents and purposes a radio show. Mm-hmm. And we're not, we're not down at CBC. We're not in a big media building and we don't have a, a team of producers behind a wall somewhere doing this. Mm-hmm. We're recording it right here. Right. Cost of production came down. We can also shoot and cut a TV show with the phone in our pocket. Now that's nothing new. People have talked about that before. The second thing is that we got global and instantaneous distribution to millions of eyeballs instantly. Mm-hmm. The internet. Again, that's nothing new. But when you combine a really low cost of production with global and instantaneous distribution, what you end up with is this third thing that's really important. And that is that you have a desire to create and consume niche content. So, you know, the example I always kind of use, I don't know why I use it, but, it, you know, if you're really into knitting in a weird, geeky, freaky way. Mm-hmm. Like not as a fetish, but no. like, you're, you're like, <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, yeah. literally. That's a whole other yeah, You're legitimately into knitting. Little, legitimately into knitting. <laughs> you know, t- 10 years ago, you had a magazine and that was it. And maybe you had your friend Barb and you and Barb and Mara got together and you <laughs> talked about knitting to totally stereotype knitters. <laughs> but, but now, now you can, you know, um, you can, uh, you can still get a magazine on knitting, but you can get a digital magazine on knitting. That's mm-hmm. really, really specific to those who like knitting with light blue wool. <laughs> you can, you can, um, watch instructional videos on YouTube. You can download the best patterns you can to make stuff. You can sell your stuff on Etsy. Mm-hmm. Um, you can join Twitter parties of people who are sitting talking about knitting from all around the world. And you only need a thousand of you. So it doesn't, you can really want five people in Canada, but there's people all around the world who are coming together for these really, really specific conversations. So, you know, if you can, the thing you love more than anything, more than your job, more than your spouse, more than anything else that's on conventional TV and magazines and everything else, you can now geek out on that thing 24-7. And you can do it when you're in the car and you can do it when you're in the office and you can do it when you're in your bedroom. You can you can just completely geek out on a whole bunch of devices. Who? How do you cut through that? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're an insurance company... How do you make that stuff more compelling for somebody who's like, but I got all this knitting stuff. This is amazing over here. And when you combine the the really specific niche with the fact that it's being created by people, by just Joe Blow consumers in their basements who don't have to go to legal and they don't have to <laughs> sell it to their boss and they don't have to get, you know, a, a regulatory approval. They just do it. Right. And they do it fast and it's really authentic and it's really compelling. How the heck do you compete against that? And I don't care if you're trying to grab somebody for an internal 10 minute meeting or you're trying to, you know, talk to your wife or you're trying to sell a product. You are now in a battle for time and you're not buying their wallet. You're buying their time. And if you can just grab two minutes of their time, you better be damn good because they will walk away so fast towards something else that is better. And so that's created leadership challenges. I think it's created relationship challenges. I think it's created marketing challenges, sales challenges. And, um, that, that I think is, um, it, it really, that's it. It's, it is, it is, people used to vote with their wallets and now they vote with their time. And it's not, it's not just that you're competing with other people in this expression economy. Those people can also, um, do damage or do harm to your brand. So, uh, as an example, I think it was, uh, two weeks ago, um, there was, uh, someone who was shopping at Whole Foods and they saw this new product on the shelf, which was a pre-peeled orange yeah, in a plastic container. And it was, you this, know, you're very busy when, right? And so there's this uh, person with a Twitter account. Natalie Gordon is her name. She's got 5,000 followers. So a lot, but not a lot. Yeah. And she tweeted this and I quote, 
If only nature would find a way to cover these oranges so we didn't need to waste so much plastic on them. <laughs> and as of last night, that tweet had been retweeted 100,000 times. Yep. Unbelievable. And again, for, for someone with 5,000 Twitter followers to have something retweeted 100,000 times is a big deal. That's huge. The, the most I've ever been retweeted, I think, was maybe 10,000, which is it was still huge, but yep. the second most is like 100. Right. Right? So you have every now and then you have like this br- moment of brilliance. And for me, it was really stupid. It was when uh, I think the last iPhone was being announced, the 6 Plus, and people were like, oh, 4.7-inch screen. What does that mean? I can't put that into context. And someone said, well, if only someone could compare it to the size of a Pop-Tart, then we know. So I Photoshopped the lineup of all the phones and put a Pop-Tart in the middle, and that thing got retweeted like 10,000 times. Wow, that's awesome. Um, but in the instance of Whole Foods, you know, I think that led to a change where they took that off the shelves, or, or at yep. least they're re- reevaluating it. Yeah, and just, I mean, just two days ago, right? The whole French's ketchup thing in Canada, you know, people kind of started getting that. And I I think that's interesting. I think the power has shifted because of this low cost of production and global distribution back to the consumer. Um, And I I think the the challenge for, I try to be what what I call a responsible tweeter, you know, where I, I will kind of complain and, and, and talk about stuff on social media. I do also try and give kudos to brands and organizations who sure. are doing interesting things. Yeah. And I think we do have to understand that sometimes brands, they, they don't know, just like us as people, we don't realize it. And when someone goes, hey, I think this is wrong that you've put an orange into a, and they, you know, a brand <laughs> can go, oh, you're probably right. Yeah, you're right. You know, we're going we're gonna to change that. And it doesn't mean they're evil and it doesn't, right. mean, it just means they're responding to your feedback. And I think, you know what, uh, for me, when I see that they're responsive, I think, you know what, they, everyone deserves some slack. You know, someone maybe thought that was a good idea. Somehow it made it through. Yep. And now that people have complained, at least they're saying, yeah, you know what, our bad, we're going to fix that. I prefer to see that as opposed to, you know, a confrontational stance or whatever. Yeah. Part of that is they have to do that because people demand that, right? Yep. And things can blow up in a heartbeat. Um, I, I do think, though, that the, the, uh, the opposite is starting to happen more and more which is brands are beginning to get a backbone. Mm-hmm. And because in the beginning, right, every comment to their Facebook page was like, thanks so much. Thanks for liking us. You know, and right. it, it was just over the top positive. And, and anytime there was a negative uh, point, brands would kind you know, bow down to this individual who was, you know, saying all this stuff. And now more and more we're seeing brands kind of go, Oh Yeah. You, you know, this horrible Yelp review that you just gave us because our, our restaurant is noisy. Yeah, it's a sports bar. <laughs> you know, like review the restaurant next time. Right. Before they wouldn't have done that in the early days of social media. <laughs> and so brands are starting to push back. But yeah, I think I think it just allows us to have a conversation, an open and honest and adult conversation about stuff that's really important to people. Yeah, it uh, it's, it's really fascinating to see how people um, react with brands. Um, there was also, I think... Just in, I don't know if it was in Canada or the U.S., but similar to the orange incident, there yep. was one with avocados where it was <laughs> it was a half an avocado. <laughs> and cut in half, and they took the seed out. Yeah, and there was a huge amount of plastic that went to covering up these avocados. So yeah, yeah, it, you know there are some things you got to under you know how does that even happen in in this. Uh, in 2016, it, it it begs for a parody commercial for that product, <laughs> right? It's just like, hi, I'm a busy investment banker. When I come home, I don't want to cut open an avocado and take out the seed. That's why I buy prepackaged avocados, <laughs> only from Mexico. Arriba! you know, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I was looking at uh, uh, there's snips of your presentation online in various corners of the internet. Um, and there was one part of <laughs> the one, dark recesses. Where yeah, nobody, in the dark web. In the dark web. In the dark web where anonymous and ISIS <laughs> learn. <laughs> um, and you mentioned that uh, the top 10 global brands for 2015, I'm just going to read them out. Sure. Apple, Google, Microsoft, IBM, Visa, AT&T, Verizon, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, and Mar- Marlboro. So these are the top brands for 2015. And uh, you were you were remarking that, you know, these are kind of not temporary situations. They've been top brands for a long time, in spite of the fact that, you know, the environment for marketing and advertising has changed. So what what is it that big brands have to do to maintain these top rankings? Well, they they need to more than anything, they need to constantly redefine themselves, Mm -hmm. you know. Apple started as a hardware software manufacturer. Now they're making whatever 60% of the global profits from smartphones. You know, I think the, the, the best example of it for me is IBM. IBM stands for international right. business machines. Yeah. <laughs> they don't sell business machines anymore. Right. You know, we just saw over the last, uh, I guess it was three, four months ago, I guess now where Google created Alphabet, the hold, the new holding company, because the range of products that they now own are so diverse that they didn't make sense to ladder up to this Google, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when they went out and bought Nest, a thermostat company. So they are constantly redefining themselves. And at the same time, I'll say that, you know, no organization has ever changed because organizations don't change. People do. So all those organizations, it's not like Apple just as this weird entity suddenly pivoted overnight. Somebody, a person, a group of people decided to pivot that organization. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, those of us who, well, all of us out there, we have a job. We've done what we've done. And when we talked earlier about this, you know, the CMO had built their career in the 30-second TV spot. It's no longer relevant. Or not as, it's, it's not as relevant as it was. And so if the Great big brands who are really winning are constantly redefining themselves. We as people have to constantly redefine ourselves as well. When I started this agency, I, I was at a, a shoot for a big global brand in Montevideo, Uruguay for my previous agency. And, and we had traveled, you know, it was a 30 second spot of which 70% of the media was allocated to a 15 second cut down. So really primarily for 15 seconds, mm-hmm. we flew to Montevideo, Uruguay, <laughs> agency people, client, production people, everything for 15 seconds. Right. And I thought, I don't think like, this is the way to do this anymore. Right. And it's not that that's not happening still, but right. I thought I got to get out now before I'm the old dude who's still doing 30 second TV commercials. <laughs> so I just quit and I forced myself to kind of uh, adapt my career really, really quickly because I didn't want to get behind the eight ball of, of just being a, a, a guy that shot TV spots. Well, it looks like it's been a successful leap. Uh, how many people work at the tight group? Uh, those are all extras. It's <laughs> still just me. Um, I think we're about 25 people now. Wow. Yeah. And we, and we kind of access, you know, freelancers and journalists and, and things like that for, for various projects. Uh, yeah, it's phenomenal. You know, I mean, it's a wonderful group of people out there. They're, um, I think they're committed. They're just as committed as I am to, to doing something interesting and, and new. And they understand that as we do that, where we're recreating or we're creating new process and we're creating new insights and we're creating new products that it's not, uh, it's not always easy. 
right? Because we're, it's the first time many people are doing this. Mm-hmm. And, um, and with that comes stress and with that comes effort and, and more time than doing something that's been, you know, perfected over 50 years. And, uh, it's just a wonderful culture. What I, what I find really interesting, uh, as an entrepreneur is the moment when it hit me for the first time, like, oh, there's something here is when I sat back and I don't know, we we're probably 15 people at that point. And I sat back and I saw 15 people working away, like really hard. And I thought, I don't know what they're working on. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they're all very busy. Right. But I don't, I don't know what they're working on. And I was like, I, what do I got? I don't know what to do. I, I guess I should go on Facebook. You know, like they just, they've got it covered. Um, it turns and, out it was just like the Apple iPhone announcement, the keynote, and they were all just watching it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's work. We have to keep up on this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Research. <laughs> this is research. Uh, it's it's a, been a wonderful, wonderful journey. Okay. Well, you should be very proud. Thank um, you. The last thing I want to ask you about before we move on to the final topic is, uh, and, and you don't have to share this if you don't want to, uh, we can all just refer people. I think there's there's uh, a video of this on, on the internet, but going back to interacting with brands, <clears throat> you travel a lot as mm-hmm. a, a noted keynote speaker, travel all over the world, giving presentations, very high in demand. And so um, you've probably had your fair share of travel stories. <laughs> yes. You know which one I'm talking about? Well, it's one of two. Paul. It's, oh, okay. either, it's either uh, my lost luggage yes. or my Western Grand experience, a, a negative and a positive. Okay. Uh, I, I would love to hear the lost luggage story because it is just <laughs> hilarious. Well, it is an interesting story. Um, <laughs> you know, I uh, I never check a never check a bag, as I'm sure you you travel a lot. You yeah, know, never check a bag. Never check. You just don't do that. Bad things happen when you oh, check yes. a bag. And on, on this particular day, um, I was uh, flying with an airline who will go nameless, uh, but let's just say it rhymes with Air Banana, <laughs> and uh, who who I think you know as it's, 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 it's as a tangent, they, they are a wonderful organization. I really do think they're a wonderful organization. I'm very proud to fly Air Canada when I fly internationally. Me too. I especially when you've flown in other countries. Yeah, and you seriously. come back it's like, oh, like, thank this, God, I'm with oh, this. Yeah. Is what flying is. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, but so on, the, on this particular day, you know, my colleague said, mm, don't check your, or you should check your bag. There's issues of security. So I checked my bag and I was flying to Calgary to meet a client and I get there and there's no bag. What do I, I'm wearing like my bad travel clothes. What do I do? <laughs> so I go to the guy and I go, Hey, what are the chances my bag, you know, makes it to be sent to my hotel? And he goes, not good. <laughs> <laughs> Just flat out. Yeah. Flat yeah. Out. Not going to happen. <laughs> no. Uh, so I go, all right, okay, fine. So I, uh, tweeted out, you know, they lost my bag and sometimes tweets will get forwarded to my Facebook wall. And on Facebook friends, you know, from that first moment were like, "Uh right. You know, kind of sucks to be you. Yeah. Now, when I got home, I got this phone call that said, you know, Mr. Ty, we have your bag and it never left Toronto and we'll deliver tonight between six and 9 PM. Didn't come. Second night, I call, you know, the next day I called them. What happened? They're like, oh, right. I'm sorry. Tonight, though, 6 and 9 p.m. I waited. Nothing. Third night, nothing. So him, I'm waiting at home, doing nothing, waiting for a bag to show up. It does not arrive for three nights in a row. What they didn't know was that every time uh, that I, you know, there every kind of touch point where they failed, I tweeted and I got forwarded to Facebook. Right. right. They said they would be here at six. It's not here. And they said they would call at seven. They, they did not call. The manager said he would get back to me. He did not get back to me. You know, it just kind of steamrolled. And what this is really interesting about a movement that starts to occur in social right. where, you know, uh, people start to hop on. They start to add their own content. Right. 
hey, here's a, a lost a video bit on lost luggage from YouTube. I thought you'd really <laughs> like this, right? Yeah. So they're now curating content yeah. from other places. <laughs> they're adding their own personal anecdotes. You know, like it was, you know, I went to Singapore in September of 86. They lost my bags. <laughs> and so people are all revolt. They're all kind of contributing to this kind of pain point or or passion point, as the case may be. <laughs> and um, it, it got to the point where I, I at one point wrote, the manager said he would call me at two o'clock. And then at 2.05, like on the button, an ex-girlfriend from Halifax, like called me on my phone. She's like, hey, what happened? Did he call? Like, <laughs> we're all sitting here waiting for the update. What's going on? So um, on the advice of a, of, a, of a friend, Jason Ramsey Brown, he's like, you got to start a Facebook group. <clears throat> so I started this Facebook group that was called Air Canada. Please give Ron Tide his bag back. <laughs> and uh, next morning, like over 400 members to the group. Holy smokes. Amazing, right? Wow. And and not even like it's not like I got four hundred friends who are that concerned of you know my life. It was like just random <laughs> trolls, right, right? Who are looking for have stuff. also been scorned. <laughs> yeah, they're just searching Air Canada, you know. <laughs> and uh, and and then and there that you know the passion point gets more focused. Yeah. And 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 people start to you know one guy's like I sent an email to the courier company on your behalf and courage the rest of the group to do the same. Wow. Uh, second person wrote, here's the personal email address for the COO of Air Canada. You know, <laughs> don't ask me how I got it. Uh, third person was like, hi, I'm with the CBC. I'd like to talk to you about that. Right. Like, All right. Yeah. Now it's getting good. CBC's go public team, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was? <laughs> so so I th- sent an email to the COO and said, you know, you could, you should check out my Facebook group. And um, then I got a, a call like 10 minutes later. And this guy was like, hey, it's Patrick. I'm just checking out your Facebook group. Uh, you'll have your bag in 30 minutes. I was like, uh, I'm calling bullshit. Right. Like, I just, you haven't delivered the password. It's not going to happen now. And then 28 minutes later, I get my bag. But then 10 minutes after that, another bag arrives. <laughs> <laughs> so now, I'm like, what? <laughs> so I go up, I see this bag, and it's a brand new piece of luggage with an Air Canada sticker on it. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. They got me a new luggage. Like, oh, I thought you right. meant it was like someone else about it. They just started randomly oh, yeah. kicking all the lost bags. Yeah, oh, yeah. Give them all to Ron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was, so I thought, oh, this is really cool, right? The yeah. American stick on it. So I open, but I open up the bag and in like nowhere to lie, I open up the bag and there are, uh, there's deli meat. There's a bottle of wine, cheese, <laughs> dress socks, um, <laughs> plastic handcuffs. Sorry, what? Yeah. Plastic handcuffs and a Nerf football. <laughs> so. I'm what like, kind of care ah. package is that? <laughs> no, no. I was like, this is weird. <laughs> uh, like, you know, someone's smoking dope at Air Canada. You know, like, this is the Vancouver <laughs> office of Air Canada. And, uh, but I dug a little deeper and there was a note. And this is the power of it all, right? That there was this note. And it was from a great guy named Brian Noon, who's an editor. And, uh, and the note just said, you know, we heard about your luggage fiasco and thought we would replace the items. We can only presume. <laughs> We're in your luggage when you lost it. And that is the power of the full thing coming full circle, right? Right. That a community of people come together around something that is interesting and compelling for whatever reason. And they contribute their own stuff and they consume that stuff and it it goes the extra mile. And what I think is interesting for the digital space, the, the most important, the most impactful part of that whole thing is something that occurred that was outside the digital environment. 
It was a face-to-face interaction of a tactical, of a tactile thing. You know, it was a bag. There was stuff yeah. in the bag. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in the content space, you know, we do a lot of our work in the digital space, but, uh, you know, something we've been looking at more and more is how, like, why would you go see U2? Why would you go see U2 live now? You can watch all U2 concerts online for free. Why would you show up and pay 150 bucks? The reason you do that is because they're fucking great rock stars and they know that that an amazing face-to-face experience cannot be duplicated in a digital environment, not even close. Mm -hmm. And people will pay a premium for that. If you can hit it out of the park in a face-to-face environment, they will pay a premium for that. We are more connected than we've ever been before. And we are entering the age of loneliness because people are craving face to face experiences. That's why coloring books are back. That's why vinyl is back. That's why, you know, in Toronto, choir, 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 right? Things like that. People want to come together. They want to interact with people in a real face to face environment. And, and that's why we're seeing retail come back, right? When we all, we, we ignored retail and said, it's all about e-commerce. Right. And then people are like, no, actually, if you can give me an amazing experience, yeah. that's awesome. You can't duplicate that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I think that, that I think it says a lot. I think it reminds us that people have a soul and that we do want to be together with people. The challenge is we've never been more skeptical of the face to face environment. Hmm. There's a great comedian, uh, I'm going to get his name wrong. I'm sorry to him, but I think it's Anthony Menasculo, I think. Um, and, and again, this is his bit, not mine, mm-hmm. but it was so insightful. And it was, you remember like 20 years ago when your doorbell would ring and people would hop up off the couch and go, Hey, we got company. Come on in. And your mom would have cake and everything. it was like this big event. Yeah. Someone stopped by. It's amazing. Right. And now your doorbell rings and you're like, get down. Right. <laughs> We're not home. You don't want it. Right. Because why? Because what we're accustomed to is being pitch slapped when we open the door. Hi, I got a natural gas protection plan. Hey, you want to buy a girl? Good. Would you like a free Toronto Star? Right. That we we extend the brands extended that, and we 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 wrecked a face to face experience when we opened our door to the point that people don't want to do it anymore, and that's a shame. It is a shame that dropping by is a, a lost connection that we have with our friends and family and neighbors. So you mentioned um, the the comedian's name. I uh, sorry, what was I, I think it's Anthony Manasculo. I'm, I'm, maybe we can put in the link or something. Yeah, I, I feel bad that I haven't. Yeah, his, yeah no, we'll. Uh, I'll make sure to put a link um, when uh, when this goes live. But I want to circle back now to to comedy. Um, so in the intro, I mentioned that you were trained at Second City. Yep, and uh, you also are the executive producer of a show called Monkey Toast, which I have been a guest on and was. I had so much fun. I had no idea what I was getting into, <laughs> but I had so much fun that I basically go to every single show. Do, it's, it's monthly. <laughs> uh, I go to every single show that if I'm in town, I will be there. I want to give you optimum points for, for, for coming to the show. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm literally there uh, a lot. So for those, how would you describe Monkey Toast to someone who's never heard of it? Monkey Toast really combines learning with laughter. Really, um, we, we get, and you were so kind to come on because I know it is that when people come on, they're like, what am I getting myself? What am I getting in here? <laughs> it's really weird. Uh, so you're very kind and you're an amazing guest. Oh, thank you. Uh, we, we get people with interesting backgrounds. We just have, bring in people who have an interesting perspective on stuff. And, uh, you know, and I, and I do the interview with them, uh, individually. And then I just say, let's see some comedy. And then I turn it over to a cast of just, 
the most brilliantly talented improvisers. They are amazing. They're just fantastic. Yeah. And we have so much talent in this country. Um, we have a kind of a rotating cast of probably 20 people that kind of come in and out of yeah. the show. But just, you know, a lot of them Second City alum or kind of within the improv sketch community. And they just improvise scenes based on the conversation we've just had. And for me, what's really interesting is that when we do the interview, I actually don't want the interview to be that funny. Mm-hmm. And it can be light, but I don't want it to be that funny. I want a greater contrast between what we're talking about and then the, the funny. And I love, love, love when during the interview, the crowd is absolutely silent. They're just listening because they're really, they're really interested in what the conversation is. And then you flip the switch and you go, now let's not, not poke fun at the conversation, but let's have that conversation inspire us so that we can discover the funny in everyday life. And, um, I, I think it's such a powerful combination. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm just so fortunate to work with the cast that we have. They're just brilliantly talented and committed people. And, and, and everybody, you know, is such a, everyone's really busy. They got their own TV shows and they're touring and they're, you know, they're everything else. And what I love is the ticket is $10. Yeah. And more and more audience members have come up and said, you're selling out every show. Like, why don't you got to make this 20 bucks? <laughs> And a room full of economists. (laughs) (laughs) Pulling down. They're like, this, look at this PowerPoint, the supply and demand. Um, (laughs) You know, but it's like nobody does it for the money. And it's so refreshing because we make, we all make, I think we make like 40 bucks a show or something. Um, And so people don't do it for the money and people do it for the passion. And it's so not that you, you shouldn't do stuff for money, but it's so refreshing to just do it because you want to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's refreshing that people show up. Uh, audience members because they they just want to be entertained and inspired. It uh, yeah, it is an absolutely phenomenal show. Uh, anyone who's in Toronto, you need to do a Google. Oh, you know what? I'll put a link on for uh, for the Monkey Toast website. You need to come check and you need to buy your tickets early because every <laughs> show now sells out. And uh, I try to bring as many people as I can yeah, to yeah, introduce yeah. them to the comedy. It's so much fun. Um, where can f- people find more out about uh, about Ron Tight and uh, and the Tight Group? Well, it's one of those things that's great about having seven letters in your first and last name. It's like every password, every, you know, it's like, you're just, just Ron tight. Uh, so Twitter, it's at Ron tight. There's, uh, you know, we have, um, uh, we have, uh, uh, LinkedIn is Ron tight. Facebook is Ron tight. Uh, and Ron tight.com is, is, is the web. And, um, uh, on the tight group, you can go to the tight group.com and monkey toast.com. Excellent. Ron, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. This has been amazing.